We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into the first episode of Hook'em Hoops with the Field of 68. My name is Jason Canander. My co-host is Tommy Yarish. We are super excited to be here with you guys for this season. Texas played an exhibition game tonight against St. Edwards that we'll get into here in a little bit. Tommy, how are you feeling? Looking forward to uh, talking some hoops this season? I'm feeling good, man. Uh, best time of the year is here, college basketball season. So super excited to to watch Rodney Terry here in year one after he had a lot of success last year. And Texas looks like they can be a pretty solid team this year again. Hey, and before we get started, I just want to give a big shout out and thank you to Jeff Goodman and Rob Doster, all the people at the Field of 68 for giving us this opportunity. Super cool what they're doing with all of the other college podcasts this year. We're really excited to talk a lot of Texas hoops. There really isn't a preeminent Texas or a, a sort of marquee Texas basketball show. That was something that I talked about um, with Jeff Goodman quite a bit. And so here we are this season. We're going to be the premier Texas basketball show. Uh, I think we have two great guys to write the ship. Hopefully we'll be able to bring in some guests, post-game analysis, um, you know, everything, everything that you could possibly want related to Texas basketball. First thing that we're going to do here, though, is we're going to break down the exhibition game uh, that happened tonight between Texas and St. Edwards. Tommy, it wasn't the prettiest start for Texas. Let's hear some of your observations from the first half to get us started. Yeah, so I think the, the touche term is really like tale of two halves, but I really couldn't find another way to describe it. That first half was just really sloppy from Texas. A lot of turning the ball over, errant passes that just you know, a couple of times where just passes went straight out of bounds. They didn't even hit a guy's hands. And, you know, you're trying to pass it across the court, maybe through a gap that's not really there. And that's that's to be expected with a group of so many guys who are new to the team. This is a brand new looking team. You think about everybody that departed this program, Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, Christian Bishop, Serge Ibari Rice, even though Serge Ibari was only there for one year, he fit in immediately just because he was such a seasoned veteran. Uh, you, you, you didn't see that cohesion tonight. And again, that's expected. This is a brand new team with a brand new coach, not necessarily brand new, but a lot of these players for Rodney Terry are pretty new. So it's going to take some time for all that to mesh together, but you didn't really expect to see that rear its head against a division two school like St. Edwards. Now you have to give credit to St. Edwards. They're a very good division two basketball team, but nonetheless, overall, just a lot of sloppiness in that first half. Uh, really offensively, I think the downfall was guys trying to play too much one-on-one -on -one ball. Uh, guys like Tyrese Hunter, Max Aismas, just kind of isolating themselves out, not trying to move the ball around too much. And the shots just weren't falling. Aismas struggled shooting the ball as 
Well, he has sort of so far every time he's played, and we'll talk on that a little bit later. But in the second half, which I know we'll touch on here in a moment too, started to move the ball around a little bit more. The offense started to flow, and that's when you see shots starting to fall and plays starting to be made. Uh, Defensively, way too many three-pointers given up. Just so much Mm. space for St. Edwards to shoot the ball. I think a lot of overthinking was going on in the defensive end, too much help going off of screens and, uh, and on backside cuts. So really think that those two things in the first half stuck out to me. I'm curious to see if you saw the same things or if I'm just losing my mind. (laughs) The thing that really jumped out the most to me, Tommy, was the lack of size on this Texas team without DeSue and Shedrick. This is a team that, I mean, DeSue and Shedrick bring Texas a lot of size in the starting lineup, but from a depth perspective, maybe not one of the biggest teams in the Big 12, certainly not one of the biggest teams in the country. And to see how small Texas looked against a Division II team was definitely kind of jarring. Uh, St. Edwards was getting some really easy looks inside towards the end of the first half. Brock Cunningham's interior defense has been a lot better than it looked tonight. Dylan Mitchell kind of looked a little sporadic at times in the first half. So the interior and obviously the perimeter defense, Texas just gave up a ton of opening open three-pointers. St. Edwards, that was going to be their game plan. The only way that they were going to beat a team with that much of a talent gap was by hitting a ton of threes, chucking up a bunch of threes, and Texas was letting them shoot them at will. Um, whereas they didn't even really try to wear out St. Edwards. They were getting these rhythm looks. The defense looked sloppy. And this is something that, for me, has been a little bit of a theme throughout the Rodney Terry era. Whereas Chris Beard was so much more, those teams were focused on defense, especially perimeter defense. You know, Texas wasn't the biggest team under Chris Beard, their first season under Beard. Even last season, non-conference play, they were not big, but they were still able to guard the perimeter very well. This is a defensive team in Texas that doesn't look so refined in the transition game, doesn't look so great in the half-court game. I don't know what their strength is going to be defensively, if they're even going to have one until DeSue and Shedrick come back. Because when DeSue and Shedrick come back, the strength will be the interior defense, you would think. So that was the first thing that really jumped out to me was the lack of and I can touch on the Sue and Shedrick a little bit when we preview the season, some stuff that I heard last week at media availability um, that I think kind of preview where we'll be able to see them make their season debuts. The other thing that really kind of surprised me um, was Kendall Weaver being the first man off the bench. I think that we're going to see Rodney Terry give Weaver a lot of run. He is quite literally the best athlete out of all the guards that Texas has. And I think that Weaver you know, he, you hope that you can get a young guy like that, plenty of open looks, plenty of looks to give, build confidence in the early season so that he can be the best version of himself in conference play, because he was statistically one of the best shooters in the country last season. And, um, you know, sort of where you see where he falls on the totem pole, he's the, the sixth or seventh option. So you hope a guy who is as talented of a shooter as he is can get those volume looks. Texas, you know, Weaver only attempted two shots all night. So you hope that he can get more looks. And the last thing that really kind of uh, not necessarily took me by surprise, but took, you know, concerned me from the first half was um, Texas's length on defense is really not good. And when you have Max Acemas and Tyrese Hunter, Tyrese Hunter is a two-way player. He's a good defensive player, but he is not a long defensive player. He has his limitations on the defensive side of the ball. Max Acemas seems almost to me where um, we might not see him in big moments down the stretch because he's just going to be a matchup nightmare defensively for Texas with his 6-1 wingspan. And so to see those things materialize against St. Ed's, again, not to take anything away from St. Edwards, they played a great game and especially a great first half. But these things on defense for Texas were very, very shocking um, and just jarring overall. Yeah, I think uh, as far as size goes, 
And I, I remember we briefly talked about this in the pre-show. Um, you know, I think Caden Shedrick is the tallest player that Texas has had since like 2019 or something like that. It's been a couple of years since they've had a guy. I, I think Shedrick 6'11", maybe pushing seven feet tall. But that's the biggest guy that Texas has had in a long time. So it's kind of been their philosophy of short, of sorts under under uh, Shaka Smart going into Chris Beard and now Rodney Terry. Rodney Terry finally brings in that big body down low. We're going to see what Caden Shedrick looks like on this on this Texas team here, hopefully soon. I know you said you would touch on that later. Uh, I appreciate you bringing up Kendall Weaver. Uh, Weaver, when he transferred to Texas in the offseason, last year was one of three players across Division One. sorry, one of three guards across Division One last year to shoot 40% from three and have a 55% true shooting percentage as well. So his shooting prowess is going to mean a lot to this team. Jason, you and I talked earlier today about whether or not it would be him or true freshman Chris Johnson coming off the bench first. And we saw Rodney Terry tipping his hat to Kendall Weaver tonight. Now, Chris Johnson did play some in the first half, but he left early in the game with a, with an, a leg injury. Rodney, Rodney Terry said in the postgame press conference that he turned his ankle, nothing further than that. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think Chris Johnson is is a very, very talented player who can help Texas win this year. You can ask Jason. I've been I've been the leader of the Chris Johnson quote-unquote fan club ever since he's gotten to Texas. He flipped from Kansas uh, later, late on in the recruiting cycle. He's a let, fairly let new me, ad. Let me touch on this about Chris super quick. When I was at media availability last week, we came in at the end of practice, and there was one guy left shooting free throws, and it was Chris Johnson. He stayed the entire time. He stayed the entire time when we were interviewing Zirik Onyema and Kendall Weaver and Coach Terry, he was just sitting there putting up shots and free throws. He's a hard worker, and I know you're very high on him. You know, what do you think he's going to bring specifically? Because he's the only freshman on this Texas team who's going to get playing time. Devin Pryor is likely going to register. So what do you think about Chris Johnson specifically? I want to hear you expand more on that. Yeah, I've watched Chris Johnson play for a good three-plus years now. He, he's a guy who trains with – Texas basketball hall of famer, TJ Ford out of Missouri city. Uh, he played his, his high school, his last couple of high school years at Montverde Academy out in California. I believe it's California, right? I'm not messing that up. Montverde, no, Florida, Florida. <laughs> that, you know, I'm sorry to all to Dylan Mitchell and Chris and all the guys watching from Montverde, but um, so, he, but he played Fort at Fort Ben Elkins when he was in Texas. So he spent a lot of time with TJ in his gym in Missouri city. Shout out, shout out to the great TJ Ford. Uh, one of the best trainers out there. He and his brother, Tim do a wonderful job producing talent. And that's a guy who was in the gym every day and he's working out. He's, he's playing against, you know, other, other collegiate players while he's in high school, he's playing against some NBA players, prospective NBA players. So this is a guy who has had his runs with players who have been at the highest levels of the game and he's played well against them. I think once he kind of gets comfortable because, you know, adjusting to college from, from the high school level obviously takes a little bit of time. Once he gets comfortable and he kind of, feels the game a little bit better. It slows down for him. I think he's going to be a guy who brings a lot of aggressiveness and just toughness to this Texas team. He likes to play with a bit of an edge to him, a very twitchy guy who is a great athlete, uh, can jump out of the gym and really throw it down in the paint when if he gets a lane. Uh, just very quick off the, first, off the first bounce. So I think this is a guy who... You know, when you need a bucket, maybe later down the line, if you if you can't turn to a guy like Tyrese Hunter, if you can't turn to a guy like Max Max Asmus, this is a sneaky option for Texas. Not as good of, of an outside shooter, but he's been developing that in recent years. But nonetheless, a guy who can 
get to the rim. He can at least draw the foul if he's not going to make a shot. And he can he can finish through tough finish. He can finish over defenders. So, so again, a guy I'm really high on, uh, a little a little bit more of a developmental guy defensively too. I think he plays good defense, but can definitely be better. So not, I don't want to say a project because I don't think he is a project. He can play at the division one level, but there's definitely a lot of, I know it's an overused term, but untapped potential uh, mm. to his game. So two of the names that you just mentioned are two guys that I really want to talk about as we kind of wrap up our recap of tonight's game against St. Edward. So first of all, a couple of stats as I pull them up on my iPad here, Texas trailed by seven going into the second half and then out towards St. Edwards by 28 in the second half, which, you know, what it, the game ended up going how it should have went. The two guys who, you know, engineered that for Texas were two guys who Texas is going to need to be, you know, the second one, the first and second or first or second best player on the team every single night. And that's Max Acemas and Tyrese Hunter. Acemas has struggled to find his shot. I mean, point blank period last week in the two weeks ago, make that in the, uh, orange and white scrimmage. He just did not look good at all from the field. And then in the box score that came out from the secret scrimmage, you know, not much of a secret when the box score comes out against Colorado struggled again. I believe he was three of 14 in that game. And then he struggled in the first half of this game as well. Now, Aceness ended up turning it around shot. Let's see six, seven of 16 from the field, but just two of eight from three misses for seven misses for six, three point shots. He made his last two of the night. Didn't, you know, kind of took him a little while to get into rhythm. And that this is a little bit worrisome before the Sue and Shedrick come back because Texas doesn't have a whole lot of scoring options. And so you almost need Aceness to be that guy who can set the tone. And in these first three games, albeit three scrimmages, to see him struggle to shoot the ball early on in the game and just in the game in general, um, definitely concerning for Texas. One guy who shot the ball incredibly well, best on, out of anyone on the court tonight, was Tyrese Hunter, 7 of 11, seven of 11 from the field. Three of four from three, five of six at the line. Tyrese Hunter shot 33% from three last year. I'm of the opinion that if he can improve that by 45%, takes this Texas team to a different level. Tyrese Hunter was supposed to make that jump as a scorer from freshman to sophomore when he transferred from Iowa State, and it didn't happen. And I just think that was more because he played a much different role as a young guy in a new environment. It, we don't give these guys enough credit for having to adjust to difficult roles. Tyrese Hunter, Hunter definitely had to adjust to a role that he wasn't accustomed to last year on Texas's team. But now this year, especially in the early season, he's going to be the first or second scoring option quite often. And today he very much looked up to the task. Tommy, what do you think the ceiling is for Tyrese Hunter especially in the early season when he's going to get just a ton of looks oh man I, I like I told you before the show I think this is the Tyrese Hunter the Texas fans have been waiting to see for his yep. entire time since he transferred from Iowa State when you look at the numbers he leads the team in 22 points seven of 11 from the field three of four from three and this is going under the radar nine assists a true, a true guy who can, you know, bring the ball up the floor and play that kind of point guard role for you, uh, distribute the ball well. He threw, a, he, he throws a very nice lob pass. I know that's a very intricate detail in someone's game, <laughs> but he throws a great <laughs> lob pass. I think he had one get away from him for, to Dylan Mitchell, but other than that, he was spot on with those. And that's a Nine lot of what Texas. That's a lot of what Texas did offensively last year. They tried to find Dylan Mitchell on those kind of backdoor. They tried to slip him along the baseline and throw him the lob when no one's expecting it. Tyrese Hunter was a guy with Marcus Carr who did that a lot. 
trying to find him through the air. And surely they can do that again this year. Dylan Mitchell hasn't got any less athletic. Uh, but as far as Tyrese goes, you know, he played aggressive. He finished tough through contact at the rim. That was something that I've been wanting to see him do. Get to the basket, draw the contact, and finish hard through it. And he did that tonight. I absolutely love that aspect of his game. Found his rhythm shooting the ball, which is something that he struggled with last year. It was very inconsistent. He would have games like this where he would score 22. He would knock down three threes and just look fantastic. And then the next four games, he would kind of be quiet and stay, stay you know, fairly, fairly off the stat sheet. Maybe nine points, eight points, six points. So if he can turn that around and turn into a consistent productive score every night for Texas. Like you said, that's going to change completely how we look at this Texas team, especially in the backboard backcourt when you pair them with Max Acemas. Now I'm going back to your point on Max Acemas. I think we're, I'm going to pump the brakes a little bit on the concern here. You know, Max showed at Oral Roberts at times that he would have a bad game when he played higher competition. And that was a big worry for a lot of Texas fans when he transferred here over the off season. And rightfully so. I mean, size is one thing, but he hasn't played big 12 basketball and big 12 basketball. You can make a case one of the best if not the best conference in the NCAA now you mentioned the struggles in the orange and white scrimmage he didn't hit a three there he goes four of 17 shooting in the loss to Colorado in the not so secret scrimmage shout out to Jeff Goodman for those numbers but you know <laughs> and, he, and he, he he improves tonight seven of 16 and two, but two of eight from three what I've noticed is that Ace Smith tends to knock down the shot more have a better shot when he catches it on the run, which is something that we saw at Oral Roberts, not necessarily when he's tasked with creating his own shot. When you're his size, it's a lot more difficult, no matter if you're playing a D2 team or a Big 12 team, it's a lot more difficult to make a shot for yourself when your defender is three or four inches taller than you. And I think that's something that he's been dealing with, excuse me, tonight, and something that I'm sure he dealt with against Colorado. He's going to be such a big point of emphasis because he is such a good scorer. The NCAA's leading scorer among active players coming into the season. So if Texas can get the ball out of his hands and find guys who can score, that's eventually going to open things up for Max Acemas because tension is going to go elsewhere, and that's when he can be deadly knocking down the long ball. Absolutely, absolutely. Couple rapid fire takeaways. I'll give I'll give three. You can give three from the scrimmage overall. Exhibition game scrimmage, basically the same thing. Doesn't count either way. Uh, my first takeaway is that the overall defense is going to need to improve for Texas. No surprise here, but between the perimeter defense with the guards, some of the spacing was really poor in the first half, and the interior defense is going to be a big concern until the student shedger come back. My second takeaway is that the guards are going to lead the way for Texas this year. Dylan DeSue, Caden Shedrick out for at least the first week of the season. I'll touch on that more super soon. Um, Aismith and, and Hunter are going to have to fill it up. Even when they're not shooting the ball well to start out the game, Max Aismith is going to need to put up about 20 points a night in order for Texas to win. Tyrese Hunter, at least 15 points a night. They were able to do that tonight. It was good enough against St. Edwards. We'll see if it's good enough next week against Incarnate Word. I think it will be, but those guys still need to live up to par. And then my third Really, my third takeaway here is that I think Texas struck gold in the transfer portal with both Kendall Weaver and Zurich Onyema. You might not see their um, full impact in the box score just yet, but these guys are tough, physical, hard-nosed players, put their head down and run up and down the court, can give you a good, exciting, energetic play. Obviously, Weaver can shoot the hell out of the ball. Onyema has been an absolute beast on the glass between orange and white scrimmage. And tonight's game, he has looked so good in that Christian Bishop-type role. Those are really my three takeaways from this game. Again, two halves of basketball doesn't count. Texas ended up winning by 22. It wasn't so pretty. Tommy, what are your takeaways? 
I'll, I'll give you two. Number one, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you defensively, but I think a lot of the issues that you presented were sort of fixed, or if not looked much better in the second mm. half. This was a, a Texas defense that I guess Rodney Terry said something very inspiring in the locker room because they turned things around in the second half. Give me 17 turnovers. They scored 18 points off of the turnovers and they were just a lot tighter defensively. You could tell that there was a shift in the energy, not to mention, and this is going to be the biggest part of any game. They out rebounded St. Edwards 22 to six. And a big mm -hmm. reason why that happens is going to be my second and final point in that Zarek Yema could be the pleasant surprise that Texas was looking for in the transfer portal. You're going to get Ethiel Horton drawing a lot of attention. You're going to get Max Aismas drawing a lot of attention. Zarek Yema coming over from UTEP, I think is going to be a crucial addition to this team, especially here at the start of the season with Dylan DeSue and Caden Shedrick not playing. Eight points, seven rebounds, about three steals for the big fellow. This is wow. not a very quick guy, and he still was able to pluck away three steals. When he gets the ball in the interior, you just get out of the way because he's going to dunk on you. That's what he showed tonight. He can dunk off of two feet after getting the board, and just very physical rebounder in general. It's going to be very hard for opposing teams to crash the boards with Onyema in the paint. Just love his aggressiveness, love his play style down low. Concern would be if he gets to the free throw line, not as great of a free throw shooter, so maybe try and avoid the fouls or make the and one layups if he has to face them. But overall, uh, Zarek Onyema, I think, is a fantastic player and a perfect addition to this Texas team. Like you mentioned, filling the Christian Bishop role. Absolutely. So we're going to go over a little bit of a season preview here. Just going to talk about some of our expectations for the team. I'll lead us off, though, with a little bit of an update on Dylan DeSue and Caden Shedrick. When I spoke to Rodney Terry, uh, I actually asked him in the, in the press conference um, for an update on DeSue and Caden Shedrick. And he said that both players are progressing well in their rehab. Both had offseason foot surgery. Now, one thing that we noticed two weeks ago is that Shedrick went through warm-ups to suited not before the scrimmage. Now, Shedrick didn't play in the orange and white scrimmage, didn't play against Colorado, did not play tonight. Ronnie Terry said last week at media availability that Shedrick will almost certainly have a chance to see the court before to sue this season, which tells me if you kind of read between the lines there, Texas will be without them for the first game of the season next Monday against Incarnate Word. Could be a little bit longer than that. These are two of the most important parts of this Texas team and two guys that Texas will absolutely need to have healthy in the Big 12. This is a team that tonight, if they were to have went up against Big 12 competition, it would not have been close with the lack of size and some spacing on defense. DeSue and Shedrick bring that to the table. Two experienced veteran guys. We'll talk a little bit. I, I'm very high on Dylan DeSue coming into this year, given what he did down the stretch last year. I think it's a preview of things to come. But Texas is really buckling up to be without these guys um, for at least the first couple of weeks of the season. And we'll see if that dips into some of the marquee non-conference games. Obviously, Texas plays Louisville. Won't be too too difficult of a game there um, the Friday before Thanksgiving. But then they'll face the winner of Indiana and UConn. And that'll be a very big game on national television, ESPN, excuse me, um, with a lot of eyes on the team. Texas will like to have at least one of those bigs back by then. I don't think DeSue is going to be back very soon. Tommy, I have a question for you leading into the season. Who is one guy that you think people aren't talking about so much who is going to make his name known in the early part of the non-conference slate? Well, a guy that I just talked about, Zarek Yema. If he's a guy who has to see more minutes because we don't have Dylan DeSue or Caden Shedrick playing for Texas – then that's a guy who's going to be down low and be your physical guy to get rebounds and help you out defensively. I, I think it really is. And, you know, 
He he did not draw a lot of attention when he transferred to Texas because, you know, his role was somewhat limited at UTEP as well. But just the play style that he brings and the guy that he, the energy that he can provide off the bench, you know, we, we talked a lot about how he is basically this year's Christian Bishop. And, you know, sometimes those comparisons aren't really accurate, but I think this one is just spot on. Christian Bishop last year was the plug that Texas needed off, off the bench to, you know, revitalize the, the crew on the floor and bring them that defensive energy that you needed to get a stop, move the ball in transition, and then he could get you a bucket on the other end as well. Maybe not shooting the ball. And Onyema certainly isn't as good of a shooter as Bishop but he's going to bring you that punch that you need if you really need it to get that momentum swinging back in your way. So give me a Yemma for a guy flying under the radar. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Taking a look at the non-conference slate here. So Texas opens up against UIW next Monday, November 6th against TJ Ford's son, TJ Ford Jr. That'll be a cool little uh, storyline there for the season opener. And then they face off against Delaware State and Rice. This was the Rice team that gave Texas trouble last year, albeit that was the same day where Chris Beard got arrested. So Texas understandably did not uh, have their best showing that day. And then Louisville, winner of Indiana, UConn, I think it might be safe to assume that Texas wins that Louisville game, given that Louisville lost to Kentucky Wesleyan tonight. Hey, it's, it's, it's early in the season. We any, Anybody can turn it around. I'm not, I'm not counting anybody talk, out just yet. I want to talk about 
two non-conference games, though, that I think are going to reveal a lot about this Texas team. And the first one is against LSU that is in Houston on December 16th. I think that this LSU team is not a tournament team going into the season, but they are a team with big talent. Will Baker revenge game, former Longhorn, Austin product. He is going to be playing his grad transfer for LSU. I like some of the pieces on this LSU team, but this is when we're going to see how Texas looks against average Power 5 competition. Av- or average big ma- or high major competition. Um, Louisville's not average high major competition. UConn just won the national championship last year. Indiana was a four seed. We're going to see how Texas looks against an average team, and I'm excited about that. because And, a, being, and an SEC preview, too, for next year. And an SEC preview for next year. But we're going to see how Texas looks against the team. We'll see if they play down to their competition. Last year, they played against Stanford in a similar environment and very much looked to the part, looked good against Harrison Ingram, some other good players on that Stanford team. I think that if Texas can win this LSU game handily, the last three games of that non-conference slate against A&M, Corpus Christi, UNC Greensboro, and UT Arlington, Texas can sweep those three and have a lot of momentum going into that Big 12 opener against Tech. And now super briefly, I want to talk about the biggest game in Texas's non-conference slate, and that is the December 6th game against Marquette. The shock is smart revenge game. It's going to be in Milwaukee against the national championship favorite in the Marquette Golden Eagles. I think that if Texas has DeSue Shedrick back, or even both against an undersized Marquette team, this could be one of the best games of the non-conference slate. I am so excited about it. I can't wait to see how Texas looks against top-tier competition. Last year, we got to see this in the Gonzaga game. That was a home environment, though, at a raucous Moody Center. Now we get to see how Texas looks on the road in the early season. Tommy, what do you think those games are going to reveal about Texas? Yeah, well, you have to start with that Marquette game just because it's so exciting when you look at the calendar. The premier game, really, I think unless Texas plays UConn or Indiana, well, I know they will play one of the two, but I think UConn will be a more intriguing game than Indiana with all due respect to the Hoosiers, that both of those would be great games. But going back to Marquette, this is a game that it's going to be a young, not necessarily young. Uh, let me go back on that. When when they go to Marquette, they're going to be a team that is inexperienced playing together as a team, relatively mm-hmm. still, right? Fairly early in the season. So you go to a very tough place to play in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, against a head coach that I guarantee you Shaka Smart wants to win that game more than anybody else does, uh, more than any other game on the schedule. So you got a hungry head coach and a very good team from top to bottom that, like you said, is going to compete for a national championship. So We're going to have to see what Texas is built like on the road in those tough environments. I think that's going to be the toughest environment they really play in all year until they go to Lawrence and Big 12 play, uh, and even Houston when they play the Cougars. But that's going to show me a lot of what Texas has made them. And I think that's really the game where we can wrap our heads around and create maybe expectations of what this Texas team is going to be able to give us this season. Now, as far as that LSU game, that's a game where we will learn more about what Texas can look like In the SEC, they leave for the conference next season. SEC, nowhere near as good of a basketball conference as the Big 12. I think that's safe to say. So what are they going to look like against, like you mentioned, one of those medium-tier teams in the SEC that they'll have to play year in and year out going forward? I think that's going to be a good testing point for how the Longhorns can fare in their new conference. And I'm looking forward to see how they look against a somewhat new LSU team that's sort of still building uh, from the ground up. Absolutely. So one more thing that I want to talk about before we get into our last part of the show, which is going to be a fun segment, some early preseason superlatives. Super, super excited about that. One more thing that I want to talk about is the emergence of Dylan Mitchell. Now, he kind of caught some people by surprise when he decided to come back to school, took his decision very much up to the deadline day. 
I was pumped when Dylan Mitchell announced that he would come back to Texas because I knew that the only way he would come back to Texas would be if he knew that he would be expanding his game. And all of last season, you could just see Dylan Mitchell oozing with potential, oozing with talent. And I don't want to say that the Horns didn't use him right, but on a veteran team with so many transfers and experienced players, 1,000-plus point scores in their collegiate careers, Dylan Mitchell was never going to have a huge role. This year, he's going to have a massive role on this Texas team. And we've already gotten a little bit of a taste of what he's going to be able to do. Not shooting the amount of jump shots that maybe we thought he would after seeing those viral clips of him creating three-pointer after three-pointer at the NBA Combine. Don't know where that came from. But he's shot some efficient shots, seven of ten from the field in today's game. He did all his work inside the paint last year. Saw him work a little bit of a turnaround jump shot into his game in the orange and white scrimmage. I'm interested in seeing what he is going to bring on the offensive side of the floor. Ronnie Terry mentioned in media availability last week that Timmy Allen is is the type of void that he expects Dylan Mitchell to fill. Do he said that Dylan will be doing some of the things on this year's team that we asked out of Timmy last year. And that's that's a pretty interesting comment out of me to me because I think Dylan Mitchell is 50 to 100 times the athlete that Timmy Allen was. And so if they're going to be in the exact same role, I am thrilled to see what Dylan Mitchell can do with the ball in his hands that often. Tommy, what do you think Dylan Mitchell's going to look like this year, especially in the early season when we get a lot of usage out of him for Texas? Well, Dylan Mitchell very easily, I think, is going to be the number one option for Texas. Uh, I think he's going to be the guy that they want the ball. They want the ball in his hands. We saw him bring it up the floor a little bit in not just the orange and white scrimmage, but tonight or last night, excuse me, against St. Edwards. So that's going that's we saw a lot of that with Timmy Allen, too. He's going to be a guy that in his second year with so much talent and kind of took last year, you know, didn't get the production he wants, but the value in that is what you mentioned. He got to watch seasoned veterans play the game at a really high level. Of course, Texas going to the Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. Mitchell got to observe the things that Timmy Allen did and Marcus Carr did when running an offense. So he's got that year of experience. He's got the year under his belt of Rodney Terry's system. I think that's going to help him more than hurt him. Sure, he's a year late to the NBA, but really, I think he prepares himself better for the NBA by coming back for one more year and taking the more of the time to show that he can be a number one option and lead a team to success. So super, uh, super excited to see what Dylan Mitchell does this year for the Horns. I think he's going to be the number one option and defensively, obviously he's so athletic that it's going to be hard to try him at the rim, not the biggest guy. Mm -hmm. So maybe a more physical, physical guy can post him up and work him there. But if you're driving to the rim and Dylan Mitchell's, you know, coming back in transition, He's going he's gonna to probably block you off the backboard. So you got to be very careful with where he is on the floor defensively uh, for opposing offenses. But overall, number one option, a guy who can very easily be the best player on this team when we, when we return to this at the end of the season. Really quickly, before I steer us into this superlative segment, I want to say I'm going to throw a little bold prediction out there. I think that if Dylan Mitchell can average double-digit points per game this season, and not, not that I don't think he's capable of that, but if his role entails that – and if he has the ball in his hands enough to average more than 10 points per game, I think he's going to be a lottery pick. I think that this is a weak NBA draft class. I think that he got some good advice from the NBA scouts on what to work on. I think that some teams might have told him, hey, if you're available at this pick next year, around this this spot next year, you work on this, this, and this, we want you because he is long, he's physical, he is the best athlete, not named Kendall Weaver, in my opinion, on this Texas team. And so – I think the Dylan Mitchell sky's the limit for him this year. And we'll kind of talk about him a little bit more as we get now into our superlative segment. 
So Tommy, we're going to go through some superlatives. We have four categories. This is so much fun to do before the season starts. We're going to do MVP. In this age of college basketball, you have to do newcomer of the year. Most improved, quite a few returning players to pick from. And then X factor, because if Texas is going to make the run that they made last year, they're going to need a guy like Serge Jabari Rice who breaks up, breaks onto the scene and takes the team to heights that they weren't expecting or contributes in a way that the team might not have been expecting or that some of the fans and some of the perspective outside of the team wasn't expecting. Because I think Chris Beard especially knew what Serge Jabari was capable of last year. He spoke so highly of him in those preseason and early season press conferences. I think that we'll see and we'll get into it as we get into our X factors here. Um, who we think will be the Serge Ibari Rice of this year's Texas team. But first off, we got to go with MVP. Tommy, who's your pick to be the most valuable player on this year's Texas team and why? Well, we just talked about him, Dylan Mitchell. I think this is the guy who's going to be the alpha on this Texas team. As I mentioned, a year under his belt, he got to sit back and watch the veterans do it last year. Now it's his turn. And I think he has all the talent in the world to make his turn his best turn and set himself up properly for the NBA draft coming up. I think he's going to do a great job leading this Texas team and, you know, just a very positive guy, a guy that his teammates speak highly of and a guy that people want to be around. They can rally around. That's going to be really important when tough times come inevitably when Texas is in a tough game, they're going to have to look to Dylan Mitchell to do things for him. And I think he's a guy who can get the job done. Absolutely. I think that the thing that people don't talk about enough with Dylan Mitchell is he has that innate ability to make a energetic spark type of play that turns the momentum of the game, whether it be a soaring block or a windmill dunk or a turnaround jump shot. I think that Dylan Mitchell is going to be the momentum turner on this Texas team. But my pick for MVP is a, and it comes with an asterisk, is Dylan DeSue if he's healthy by conference play. The Dylan DeSue that we saw down the stretch last year for Texas is the number one reason why the Longhorns made the Elite Eight. You saw in that round of 32 game against Penn State when some of the veterans, Marcus Carr, Serge Barry Rice, Timmy Allen, when their shots weren't falling, Dylan DeSue took over. And that was something that I don't think Texas ever expected out of him when they recruited him. And now he is in a position using his final year of eligibility where he can really be the number one option on this Texas team when he comes back. He can shoot from any, any, any part of the floor. His three-point shot was improved last year. His jump shots, floaters, post-game has been incredible down the stretch. You hope that he that Texas, you know, the injury that he's recovering from was an injury that he sustained in that Sweet 16 game against Xavier. And so you hope that this isn't something that's going to be lingering throughout the season and that more so the prolonged recovery has been Texas really working on getting him as right as possible, getting him in that peak body condition so that he can be the Dylan DeSue that he was down the stretch. Because, man, if he is the Dylan DeSue of February and March, this Texas team, sky is the limit. They will finally have the bigs to play up to par with some of the Big 12 competition. That was the biggest weakness on the last two years' teams. Dylan DeSue, if he is healthy and on the court for 30 minutes a night, completely fixes that problem. Next category yeah. that we're going to get into here is newcomer of the year. I think that there are really two ways that you can go with this. Shedrick or, or Ace Miss Tommy, let's hear your answer. Yeah, I'm going to the Shedrick route, and that's a that's kind of similarly to your Desue answer is when he when and if he gets healthy. Uh, kind of a he wasn't really utilized too much at Virginia, but again, I think that's just because the Cavaliers had a fantastic roster and he was kind of next up. But he did give us a little bit of a taste of what he could bring to the table in the tournament against Furman. Uh, he popped off in that game and and really helped Virginia out a lot in 
uh, and I believe that was a pretty close game, was it? Or was that the one they almost got upset in? Buzzer beater. Oh. That was the Furman buzzer beater. Oh, they Basically. won that game. That's right. Uh, I, yep. Yeah. So, you know, the not not a great game for Virginia, but the bright spot was that Caden Shedrick showed what he could do. And that's what Texas fans mm-hmm. certainly wanted to see. Obviously, you can't bank everything in on one game. But Shedrick, like I mentioned, the biggest guy that Texas has had on the roster in quite some time. And they need that size, especially if they want to make a deep tournament run. You saw sometimes – that size got the best of them when Dylan DeSue wasn't able to play in that game against Miami in the Elite Eight. So I think his size and overall versatility can bring a lot to the table. He has a lot to prove, but I'm pretty high on Caden Shedrick. I'm high on Caden Shedrick, too. And, you know, when he did his interview with the field of 68 uh, to announce that he was transferring to Texas, one thing that he was unfiltered about was the fact that he thought he was misused by Tony Bennett at Virginia. And he has said it time and time again, there is stuff on his high school tape that he knows he is capable of and he was not able to showcase in Charlottesville with Virginia that I'm excited to see. I think that he's really referring to guarding positions one through five and perimeter shooting. And I'm so excited to see his versatility on both ends of the floor as the tallest player Texas has had in years. I think Caden Shedrick is going to play a huge role in this year's Texas team. My newcomer of the year has to be Max Acemas. I think that Acemas is going to have the ball in his hands quite often, the most out of anybody on this Texas team. He's going to get so many looks. We saw with Marcus Carr last season, there's some games when Texas would just back up, let him take his open shots, and just let him eat. And I think that Max Acemas came to Texas with the assumption that he would be able to score at will. And he is the leading active scorer in points in college basketball. So Texas would be remiss if they don't let him score at will. So I think that just by how much he's going to have the ball in his hands, he's such a talented scorer, Uh, maybe not a future NBA player, but hey, it doesn't matter. It's college basketball. And I think that Max Acemas is going to put up 20 plus points tonight for Texas this year. That alone will make him newcomer of the year. Now into our last two superlatives. First off, most improved and I know Tommy this is going to be a player that you've kind of already touched on before but what specifically do you think makes this is going to make this player the most improved player on the Texas team well yeah this is a layup for me because if Dylan Mitchell is the team MVP then he's also the most improved player just because of what he did last season so um, I think what's going to make him most improved is I think his shot creation and shot making really he doesn't he did not shoot the ball a lot last year he was basically just a big lob option for texas in transition i think he has to be a lot more than that this year especially offensively we mentioned earlier how in the origin white scrimmage he was able to knock down a couple turnaround jumpers and shoot those jump shots you mentioned that video that went around the nba combine where he all of a sudden out of nowhere starts knocking down threes and everybody in austin is like well where'd that come from so If he's able to knock down some of those shots this year, I think that's definitely going to be his biggest improvement because we have seen what he can do on the defensive end. Now it just happens to be a bigger role for him. So most improved, I think, once again, if Dylan Mitchell's the MVP, he's also the most improved. You know, I put my answer in before the scrimmage, the exhibition game. Stop calling it scrimmage. The exhibition game tonight. And my answer is Tyrese Hunter. For similar reasons, though, as Dylan Mitchell. You know, tonight Dylan Mitchell looked like he he just looked like like the best version of Dylan Mitchell that you could have had last year. If you were to boost up all of his best qualities, that's what he looked like tonight. And I think that that's what Tyrese Hunter looked like tonight and is going to look like this season. You mentioned the Tyrese Hunter that Texas fans thought that they were getting last year. I think Tyrese Hunter is absolutely going to be the most improved player because he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. He's going to have better looks. He's looked like a transformed player really on both ends of the floor. His box score tonight was 
absolutely impressive. It was 22 points on 7 of 11 shooting, 9 assists and 1 rebound, just 1 foul. If Tyrese Hunter does that just about every night, I know this is D2 competition, but if Tyrese Hunter can do that for Texas like every other night, game changer, absolute game changer. And I'm going to bet on Tyrese Hunter this year because I'm going to bet on the work that he put in. He was another guy who entered his name in draft pool, likely got good advice, probably has NBA aspirations after the season. I'm betting on Tyrese Hunter. I think we're going to see the Tyrese Hunter that we thought we were going to get last season. Tonight was a good sneak preview of that. Last, last category that we have here for our superlatives is X Factor, also known as the Serge Ibari Rice Award. Tommy, who do you think is going to be this year's Serge Ibari Rice? rice i do like the name of that not necessarily this year's serge Ibarra rice playing style wise but i'm looking at kind of 1a and 1b just because it depends on what kind of role each of them play as sort of the backup guards or the first options off the bench and that's kendall weaver and slash or chris johnson now obviously we'll have to monitor johnson with the injury early obviously we talked about earlier rodney terry uh, in his post-game press conference today said that he just rolled his ankle but provided no more information other than that so hoping that that is a sign of a not-so-serious injury, but the X-Factor is going to be one of those two guys, just because Weaver brings you that shooting advantage that Texas is going to want and Texas is going to need because they'll be able to space out the floor and find Weaver with an open shot. It's going to it's gonna end well most of the time. And Chris, as far as Chris goes, you know, if they get him an open lane and they just need a burst of energy, he's a guy who can give you that off of the bench. So those are the two guys that I look for, that I look for uh, in, in the backcourt. And I really think that, you know, it would be an interesting pair to see those two together on the floor. Maybe if, um, excuse me, Max Asmus and Tyrese Hunter need a break, you throw those two guys in there and see what the younger guys can do for you. Um, uh, so m- maybe that's not what we see, but just an intriguing concept to think of, you know, what happens if those two guys are on the floor. Maybe we see that more in some late game action when Texas has a big lead over over another opponent. And maybe Rodney Terry likes what he sees there. But either one of those two guys, I think, if they're on, they're going to help Texas win, uh, and especially Kendall Weaver with his outside shooting abilities. Mm-hmm. If he's able to knock down a bunch of threes, then that's going to run up the box score and ultimately run up the points for Texas. And uh, Chris, once again, like I said, can get inside, uh, gets to the basket very well, attacks the rim, attacks the game as a whole, uh, and can be a very, a very big punch uh, when it comes to you know momentum and taking back the energy of a game. The most interesting thing for me about Weaver and Johnson's play this season is I think we've kind of grown accustomed with Texas kind of flipping the roster season after season. And it's going to be a different roster next season than this season. Of course, we got to pump the brakes a little bit with the season not even starting yet. But I am interested to see sort of how Texas plays those guys up as the guards of the future. There's sort of this hot rumor around that Rodney Terry wants to sign a four-man class of 2024, only one signee so far in Cam Scott. If it kind of stays sort of that way, Texas is going to have to have Weaver and Johnson play big roles next year. So I'm interested to see how their roles this season play as a precursor to their roles next season with Weaver having three years of eligibility and Johnson having all four years. Neither of those guys I expect to be one and done at Texas. My uh, real, real quick though, here, Jason, sorry, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off just quickly oh, on good. roster construction. I wanted to make this point earlier, but couldn't find a point in the show. I, I really can't emphasize enough how massive of a blow it was for Texas to lose both Ron Holland and AJ yeah. Johnson coming into the season, especially Ron Holland. For me, this is a guy who I was able to watch at McDonald's all American game last year. And he was by far one of, if not the best player on the floor. I think this is a guy who's going to be the number one pick in the 2024 NBA draft. He's right up there with, you know, Modest Bazelis and and those guys. But 
just a guy who could really do it all. I mean, he's extremely athletic. He has the size for it. He has the college build. He's built very well, and he plays great defense. So everything that Rodney Terry would want in a guy. He was he's kind of like if you were to compare him to someone on the Texas team, I would compare him to Dylan Mitchell. And so maybe Mitchell coming back kind of affected that recruitment a little bit, mm. but nonetheless, uh, it, I think RJ is a, um, or Ron Holland, excuse me, is a fantastic player who is going to be very good in the NBA and very good for G league ignite this year. And then AJ Johnson, uh, again, not to use the term project a little bit more, but he was a guy who, if you got him into a co- collegiate strength and conditioning plan over the summer to get some more muscle on his body and develop his shooting game would be a fantastic Mm -hmm. ad as well a real a true three and d kind of guy who texas was definitely going to play this year had those two got had they had he got there um obviously he goes to play now in australia but two really really big loss not necessarily losses because you know they it, it, it is a loss, but it just it really just sucks for Texas just because this team yep. could be a lot more fun with those two guys. Not that they're not fun now. Apologies if, if that was the if that's what came across. But having Ron Holland and A.J. Johnson on the team would make this a completely different conversation when it comes to Texas, especially Ron Holland and how exciting he is of a player. Absolutely. I mean, just to think not not to reminisce or not to kind of think about hypotheticals too much, but to think about what that front court would look like with DeSue and Shedrick and Ron Holland and Dylan Mitchell, there's not, there would not be a better front court in the country. I still think Texas has one of the best front courts in the country. Absolutely. But your point, the point that you made about Holland and Johnson is the perfect lead in to my final superlative X factor, because it's a guy who wouldn't be here had AJ Johnson not left. And that is Ithiel Horton. I was pumped when Texas added this guy through the portal. He was a late entrant as a grad transfer from UCF. He is on his fourth college, began his collegiate career at Delaware, and then played at Pitt. Put up good numbers at UCF this year. Tommy, this is a guy who is my X factor far and away on this Texas team just because of the things that he does well. He is a lights-out shooter. We saw in the second half of today's game, they give him those rhythm looks at Serge Ibari Rice. Not to bring up Serge Ibari too much, but He was everyone's favorite player on last year's Texas team. And if we're going to be talking about him so much, he's playing in Austin for the Austin Spurs. This is my Serge Ibari Rice on this year's team, because I think if Horton can do the little things as, as a veteran leader on this Texas team, 24 years old, lights out shooter. We'll see how he plays on defense. But when Texas is fully healthy, this is the guy that I fully expect to be the first man off the bench, if not Brock Cunningham. And I think that if Horton is going to have the ball in his hands a lot, he's going to be the first man in relief when a Smith and or Hunter need a break. I think that if Horton as a veteran presence lights out shooter, I really like what he brings to the table. I like what I've seen in these first two games, albeit they don't count. Once they do start counting, I think that Ithiel Horton's going to start filling them up. He's my X factor on this year's Texas team. Now, the important question with Horton, Jason, does he have a pump fake as good as Serge Barrio Rice's? No, early early no odds makers does. telling me no. No, uh, not no even one close. does. I, I think that w- that might be up there with some of the nastiest moves I've ever seen. I, I've never seen so many people fall for a pump fake. And I know a bunch of people asked him about it, and he just kind of shrugged it off like it was easy for him. Uh, it, it, it was truly remarkable to watch. I had to just put that in there. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. No, I, I completely I completely agree with that. I think that, uh, you know, Texas is going to miss those big plays from Serge Ibari, those sort of momentum-inducing pump fakes, make the defender look silly. I just, you know, he his void will be one. Ronnie Terry's talked about the, the void left by Timmy Allen, but I think that the second biggest void is going to be the void left by Serge Ibari. Right? So hopefully Texas will be able to fill it up with Horton. Hey, before we get going here, I want to kind of tell our viewers a little bit about ourselves. Tommy and I were both students at the University of Texas, both seniors, met through Texas Student Television, where we still do some great things over there to this day. But the cool thing about the two of us is that we are both from Chicago, the small minority of Chicago people. Tommy, is there anything else you want to tell about yourself, anything about your work at 24-7, some of the stuff that you do play-by-play? Just get our viewers to know ourselves a little bit more, get comfortable with us uh, before the season starts. Yeah, well, uh, overall, I mean, I'm 20 years old and I've been very lucky to have so many opportunities here in the media field. And I'm always just so appreciative for each one. So, again, huge thank you to to Jeff and Rob and the folks at, at the at the Field of 68 for letting Jason and I do this. Uh, it is an incredible opportunity. And I know the two of us are going to make the most out of it and bring you the best Texas basketball content that we can possibly bring. Um but yeah, growing up, like I said, in Chicago, Mount Prospect, Illinois, I spent 13 years up there, loved every second of it. I think Chicago is the best city on earth and it's a Mecca for basketball. So it was easy to fall in love with basketball growing up. Um, college basketball, my, my parents went to DePaul, so I always looked at the Blue Devils uh, and kind of studied their prime back when they were when they were rolling. And, you know, as we've kind of when we moved down to Texas, I live in, live in Houston now. Uh, it, it's been a lot of fun to to watch a lot more tech, uh, not just Texas college basketball, but college basketball around the country and get more involved in it. And now super excited to be doing this. Know a bunch of great folks in the college basketball sphere already. Um, you know, I'm very thankful for everything that TJ Ford has let me do with him. We've done some good work together and developed a nice friendship. One of the best guys uh, out there in Austin and really the college basketball sphere in general. And then the folks at 24-7 sports, I think, do a great job, especially in the recruiting world. Uh, Eric Bossy, Adam Finkelstein, and Travis Branham, I think, are three of the best in the game. And Texas's very own, Brandon Jenkins, uh, doing a fantastic job. We've done a, Brandon and I have done a couple videos together, and he's an awesome guy to chat with. And all four of those guys really are true ball knowers and very lucky to have worked with them. And like I said, I'm very excited to start this new project. And shout out to Seth Davis as well. Uh, he, he's been he's been great to the, to the two of us. Uh, helping yep. us out and his son Zach over here at Texas is, is doing a phenomenal job so um, the future of TSTV right there the future of TSTV and Texas <laughs> the, the Texas journalism department as a whole is Zach Davis so super excited for him and super grateful for everybody who's helped us get here absolutely Tommy and I'm really excited to go on this journey with you this season we have a lot of experience hosting together at TSTV so I'm super excited that we 
get this bigger stage, huge opportunity for us. We'll, you'll get to learn a little bit more about us as the season goes on. But, hey, six days until the basketball season starts. I'm so excited for this Texas season. Last year, kind of left a sorry taste in our mouths with the way that the Elite Eight ended so close, 10 good minutes of basketball away from making the Final Four. It's going to be a great season, Tommy. Like I said, excited to spend it with you. Excited to spend it here with the Field of 68. That's it for us. First episode of Hook'em Hoops. Hopefully you'll tune in for many more. Have a great day.